And it was funny, as we were coming to uh, talking about the weekend, just prior to that, as I pray about coming to every new church for the following weekend, because I get to see our movement, I get to see a lot of our churches about where they're at, what's happening. But I actually had this picture of me 32 years ago preaching Trader's Way, somewhere around there. Some people may remember. But I can still remember that moment. I can still remember the message in which, and it was around, and I can't exactly tell you what the message was in detail, but it was about Joshua standing at the River Jordan, and he had the choice of acting on God's Word or just looking at the situation before him, which seemed to be impossible, taking a, a, a country and a, a people far greater than they, also seeing the obstacle of water before them, which is going to be a hindrance and just trying to get across. But I can remember that, and the Lord reminded me of this. Never forget what God has done for you. What has he done for you in the past? Never forget what he has done. We so often can be so caught up about what God will do, and we need that because we need vision. We need that. But never forget. And one of the most powerful things, I think, in the kingdom today that we do forget, and that is being thankful. We can be so vision-driven sometimes that we lose sight of just being thankful to Jesus. I love what Pastor Dan said. And, and I, you know, one of the best things I'm asked regularly, what's, what can we do for our pastors? I said, look, the very best thing you can do them probably give them a little bit more money but um, outside of that is is really pray for them honestly if you pray for them and pray for the team you get the very best but if you hold issues and challenges of the past it will interfere with your relationship with your future and ultimately it interferes with your relationship with Jesus it's how we manage one another Hebrews 10 says you know don't don't get out of the habit of gathering together why? Because as, as he says, uh, Paul says, as some have got in the habit. Everything's a habit in life. You have to actually create habit to change habit. Habit replaces habit. All I'm encouraging you here this morning is simply that God started and birthed his church with a great plan, and that hasn't changed. Leadership may change, and people may change, and people may come, people may go. People usually go just because they get out of a habit. And one of the greatest habits is to come together on a Sunday to unify your heart, to worship Jesus and say thank you. And one of the most powerful things we can do in life is not just to be projecting vision, very much an important part of the future, but embracing a thankfulness of heart, thankful for what Jesus has done. Close your eyes. Father, I thank you I have the honor to be able to preach in this great church. I encourage, and I encourage this great church to pray for their pastors, for Pastor Dan, Pastor Hannah and the team. But Lord, again, as Pastor Dan has said, we are always reminded that it's always about you. It's always about Jesus. And Father, today I pray that every single person, irrespective of where they are in life, that you can touch them. You can assist them. You can bring change to their situation. But Jesus, we embrace this moment. We embrace this time of after the service, not just coming and going but being of one mind, one heart, and our heart embraces the greatest gift that we have to offer to you, and that is being thankful in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, let's get on to the message, and thank you again, uh, Pastor Dan, for inviting me along here. love coming to this church. love being with great friends, Graham and Wend. Graham keeps me on my toes and also challenges me in the weight department, but I'll not talk about that today, Graham, because you're going to a colder climate and probably put on a few extra kilos than I'm 
have the greatest opportunity to be in a warmer climate and do something about it. Today, I want to talk about, about last words is that, again, we come in life and now we come in life not uttering words. We come in usually with a bit of a scream, just making known our presence. We're here. But when we depart in life and guess our final words are probably some of the most profound things that we'd ever say. Our final departure of this life, our final words would be really the summation of our life, of what was important to us. And in those final words, it'll usually embrace our purpose, our focus, our loves, or our fears. And it's interesting that as we even here today gather, and I will be asking you the question because I believe the pulpit is not just a place to give you information, but to challenge you. And I believe every Sunday we should be asking you questions from the pulpit. What about you? Can I ask you this? What would your final and last words be if this was your last day on this planet? And to whom would you say those things? What's really important will be summed up in those final few words. Let me run through a few for you. I love this. Winston Churchill, great politician, a man who led a nation through a time of war and allowed that nation to come into a position of actually being victorious. What was his final words? His final words were, I'm bored with it all now. His reference was the politics. I'm bored with it. But it was still on his mind, still a part of the fabric of who he was. What about Leonardo da Vinci? I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I guess the Mona Lisa isn't good enough. One of the most significant pieces of artwork, yet that man so consumed by his art and his passion to please God and to show the humanity, the life of man and God and the relationship of God. He goes, I guess it wasn't good enough. One of the most incredible pieces of artwork, still recognized today. What about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? He was wrote all the Sherlock Holmes stories and he died at 71 in his garden and he was sitting on a bench with his wife and he turned to his wife and simply said, you are so wonderful, my love, and I am so glad I have done this journey with you. Then he clutched his chest and passed from this planet. What about fears? Thomas Paine, one of the leading revolutionary and deists, and a deist is someone who believes God exists, but he creates and stepped away from his creation. Also, they don't believe that there's any miraculous power or supernatural encounters that occur. God just created like a watchmaker creates a, a watch and hands it on. He creates and hands it on. His position in life was this. He his final words were, stay with me for God's sake. I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I will give worlds if I had them that the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave me. Please, please even send a child to stay with me in these final moments for I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. A man's final fears, he builds his life on a thinking, a, a thought, a, a philosophy of belief, and in his final moments, even a theology, and then comes the realization that God didn't step away because right now he must meet God. Powerful. What about Voltaire? I love this man. This man is 
was a, then a deist, which became an atheist, and he was probably the first true atheist. There's no such thing as an atheist realistically, but using the terminology, Voltaire said this, I'm abandoned by God and man. I love this because he spends his whole life denying that God exists. And now in his final moments, he's acknowledging God. I love this. I'm abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will just give me six months more. As he spoke to his doctor saying those words. The doctor had just finished speaking with him and saying, Sir, I can do no more. You are now in the hands of God. Then he said, well, then I shall die and go to hell. And then for the coming hours in a semi-conscious state, he cried out, oh, Christ, oh, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Whether this is actually what transpired, and a lot of people do believe this is the case, obviously that really puts a, a bit of a spin on it and a bit of a difficult situation for atheists to actually say they're leading flag bearer, so they have adjusted things, but if this is exactly what is communicated, which a lot of people believe it is, that final day will be a moment where what is most important and the realization of where you are in life will all come to a moment of acknowledgement. So I said to you before, what would your final words be and to whom would those words be? What's really important in life to you? We can build a life on building business and structures and and things, and achieving all, but at the end of the day, when you're in that final moment, you're not thinking about who's going to be the third president of the new company. That's usually not the way it rolls. It usually rolls simply like, where are the people that I have loved? And are they near? And can I say final words to them? That's what most of us would actually do. And we're here today because of, possibly, for most of us, we're here because of the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Lord of our life. And when we gather here today, we have gathered on the basis that, again, a man who had an incredible impact over such a short period of time, three years, yet some of his most powerful statements, as it is for all of us, were his final words. Not necessarily the Sermon on the Mount and many incredible things. Luke says in, in his book, he said, not all the books of that's ever been written, can we ever write enough about Jesus of what the things he has said? He said so many things. The Bible records a portion, a small portion of what he said. Yet, Jesus' final words was probably the sum total of what he believed, what he loved, what his focus and his purpose was. His intention, he gave up a, a position because he so loved us. He gave everything because he so loved you. So what were the final words of Jesus? And very quickly before we go there, I think it's always good to understand because so often we forget what has transpired which led up to his final words. You see, you have to think that just the day before, oh, sorry, in the, 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 the morning before of around 3 a.m., Jesus had spent time with his disciples and they had fallen asleep, but he was in the, the garden. He was calling out and praying to God. But it, the words in which Jesus spoke were powerful, but what preceded helps us understand the context of what he had gone through, even yet to speak the words in which he would speak. Jesus, from 3 a.m. to 
6 a.m. He was arrested. He was tried. Many people came and falsely testified against him. All the Sanhedrin, all the, the religious leaders of his time had come to tear down, to put an end to this gentleman who was creating incredible unrest because of bringing a message which was contrary to their religious belief. There were others also at this time who, who had said, well, Jesus, they may leave you, but I never will deny him. People that he'd given his life for and spent a life for, had given his heart and his future. Yet in those moments, they had denied and walked away from him. From 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he was tried. He was put on, try, on trial for a man who was condemned to death. Then from 6 to 9 a.m., he was scourged and brutalized in a way in which we could not even imagine. In 2004, there was a film called The Passion of Christ. Some of you may remember that and probably one of the most graphic um, presentations of what took place in Jesus' life. But you have to understand, and most scholars would say, it was just a glimpse of what happened. It was nothing like what Jesus looked like. It would be so graphic and horrific, most people could not even look at it. He was brutalized to a point that he was not recognizable. You have to understand that. What he went through and what all of us go through can frame up in our pain, our sorrow, our, our agony to actually adjust and change our words. But someone with a purpose and a focus and intention and a love and a life who has committed so much was unrelenting and was not swayed by any means or form from why he had come. His purpose drove him. His focus drove him. Not his fears, but his love and his commitment for us. So what were these final words in which Jesus spoke? You see, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., he, he said seven things. Seven statements which ultimately is a culmination of what the gospel and the Bible is about, what Jesus' message is about. Incredible words. What was the very first words that he said upon the cross? Luke 23 verse 34 says this. He calls out and says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, it is the word of forgiveness. He has been brutalized in a way we cannot imagine, would none of us will ever go through, could even put ourselves in that position. Rejected by friends, denied by friends, friends had had gone missing, left alone to go through his, this challenging moment. Yet, his words and opening words are simply, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Incredible. Incredible. You know, Christianity is the only religion where God has given up his position and came here to walk amongst men. Only religion on the planet. And to die. Only only religion which embraces a God willing to give up position, title, role, life for someone not deserving. Incredible. Jesus came. His words were communicated. The words of forgiveness. How would Greg French approach this? Probably a little differently. I've thought about this. How would I approach my moments after my friends, Graham, had sort of left me, Chris and Dan, they'd all said, Greg, we'll stick with you, gone. Not that they would, of course. Wendy would be there, Julie would be there. Obviously, we do notice in the Gospels that the women were present. 
The men had deserted, <laughs> as they do, and that's why we actually did real men for many years, try to get them back. But in that place, it's, Craig French would probably simply go, Lord, Graham and Dan and the gang have left. Julie's still here, and Wendy, thank you, and Kath and the rest. But Lord, wipe them out! <laughs> That'd be my approach on the cross. Look what you've done to me! And before the wiping out occurred, if the Father chooses not to wipe you out, I'll be back. And I'll be back for you. Don't you love that? That's how Greg French is. Aren't you glad I'm not the Messiah? Aren't you happy that he didn't appoint me to actually come and help you? Hopefully I am helping you, and by the time of the message comes to a close, hopefully we are in that place. But the first word was the words of forgiveness. Incredible. The second word from the cross was this. He was on the, the cross and there was one criminal to his right and one to his left and one calls out and simply says, again, if you are the Christ, get yourself down and get us down too. If you are really who you say you are. And the other man says, do you not fear God? Who are you? This man is an innocent man. And in his final moments, he says, remember me, Jesus. And Jesus, in the middle of everything, he says simply, today you will be with me in paradise. What's that about? You shall be saved. What's that about? You see, the words in which Jesus spoke were the words of salvation, words of life. But they were words which everyone has an opportunity to hear, irrespective of where they are in life. On your final day, in your final breath, salvation is offered to you. Incredible. Incredible. A man receives salvation. A man deserving of his probably murderous ways. Yeah, Pastor Greg, you don't, you don't know my Uncle Bert. Oh, Uncle Bert, he was a case. Oh, Uncle Bert, man, he used to knock up my honey terribly. Kids hated him, hated him, wanted nothing to do with him. I saw him just a couple of weeks before he passed away. Actually, it was 10 days, not long. He was sort of in a coma, in and out, swearing, man, swearing. Called me all sorts of names. I came along just to show him the Christian grace and love. <laughs> he just cursed at me and swore and cursed God and everything. He's gone to hell. No way he could have been saved. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? I thank the Lord that my sister never gave up on me when I looked like a no-hoper, someone who had no future, someone who was not going to get through anything. I thank the Lord she never gave up. I thank the Lord. What about you? Are there people that you are praying for yet you have not seen? Yeah, but we've been praying a long time. I know. The reality is never, ever, ever, ever give up on your Uncle Bert's. Never. Jesus on the cross, gone through everything. He never gave up. And he was always willing to offer the hand of salvation, life, and future. The third words from the cross was this. Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. I love this. This really just puts everything in a wonderful 
in the context of understanding of the power of relationships. Jesus, in the midst of this, forgiving the world and all that had been, and remember on the cross, he saw those who had done terrible things to him, but yet on the cross, he looked down that corridor of time to this meeting and sees you. But on the cross, in the middle of saving and offering salvation to a man in desperate just to be acknowledged and basically trying to do one good thing in his life, bring salvation. Yet in the middle of this, what does he do? Hey, mum, sorry, I've got a bit of business on. <laughs> hey, John, can you look after mum? Mum, can you look after John, my mate? He's here. The rest are gone, but he's here. Can you look after each other? Isn't that fantastic? In the middle of this, Jesus is still thinking about those who are important to him. Can I tell you? You're always important to him. Irrespective of what's happening in your life, he's always looking how things are tracking in your personal, relational world. Jesus offers a simple remedy to all of us. He was always trying to work with you to work through the challenges of relationship. The four things from the cross which I love, Matthew 27 verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fascinating. A lot of discussion, a lot of theological discussion around what, this was, what was actually going on here. But you must look at what transpires. At the beginning, he starts, Father, at the closing statement, he says, Father. But smack in the middle, he uses the term, my God, my God, twice. Fascinating. I'm not trying to pull out anything theologically incorrect but a lot of theologians do believe that, number one, he was not crying out for his own position. He was not crying out from his own circumstances. He was crying out because he was feeling the power of sin come over him. He was upon the cross to take upon the sins of the world, not for one, but the world. And in that moment, he was feeling the power of sin. What is the power of sin? The power of sin... Is the power to separate. What he was feeling, and most theologians would agree, he was feeling the power of separation between he, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. And that there was a separation and he was feeling the pain, the agony of being removed from that relationship. The most tragic place on the planet today is to feel that you are alone and have no one. Depression, mental health-related issues, etc., for a whole lot of reasons, biochemically, traumatic, etc., may come in your life, and every person will have some form or moment where they will be experience some depressive experience or have some depressive experience in their life. They will. Every single one of you. When Jesus was on the cross... He was feeling the power of what separation does, which could cause you to shrink back and move away. But he chose to push in and push through. Why? Because he had to push through why he had come. And the reason was come, I am willing to push through and take upon my body and my life through my death all that they cannot do to rectify the separation between my father and them. That is the reason why we gather here today. The power of separation was the power at that moment in time of feeling at a distance from God.
And guess what the devil does in this life? He's going, we think the devil just wants to go around and scare the living daylights out of us and jumps out behind a, a bush and scares us in darkness and we're filled with fear. No, no his primary goal is to create, create us separated from the Father and from one another. He starts in the family. Why does Jesus give the family a lot of attention? Because he knows the devil will strike the heart of what is the formation, the creation of new life. The power of the cross, the power of separation, the power of reconciliation through the cross, through that moment. The next thing he says from the cross, which I love this, I thirst. You see, all of this, and Jesus was going through something that he had learned to understand, walking in the understanding of what would transpire from Psalm 22, from Psalm 69. He understood because he had read the scriptures. He was learning about what was taking place, but he understood who he was and why he had come. And then he says, I thirst. What is that about? He was actually going through exactly the same thirst and in our life, the same challenges in our life that we would face. He came and the only God that has come to actually feel what you feel, to experience what you experience. That's a God who wants to know us intimately who wants to know us and give us that which he has given his life for. The next thing he says from the cross, the sixth thing which I love, it is finished. What's that about? Well, it's all over, I guess. Finished. Gone. That's it, I'm out of here. A lot of people looked at that and said, it's finished. I've preached on this a million times. Pastor Dan may have, Pastor Graham, the team may have preached on this. It is finished. What's he really saying? He says, I'm telling you, I decide when I depart, not you guys. What's that about? I'm in control. That to me is one of the most reassuring statements on the planet today, that in our challenging times, when Jesus is in our life, he is still in control. I said to someone last night when we were just praying with some of the team, God does more behind your back than in front of your face. Never forget that. Never forget that the day Jesus steps into your life, he is proactively working to you, irrespective of what lies before you. I don't know your challenges. I don't know what is before you today. I don't know what things you may have to overcome. I don't know. You might say, you don't know what's happening in my world. I'm sorry, I don't. But Jesus does. And I just want to reassure you today, simply before you leave, irrespective of what has transpired. I thought this year was going to be a great year. Pastor Dan says as he every, every year, it's going to be the greatest year, but he said that last year and the year before and the year before. Don't you love that? Wouldn't you love him to get up here and go, you know what, every year I've said it's going to be the greatest year of your life. Greatest year. I'm not going to say that this year. I'm going to say, it's going to be a shocker. This is going to be a shocker of a year. Terrible year. I just want to be real with you. Oh man, what would happen? Well, Pastor Dan, can we just pray and hop? No. Everybody bar Dan and Hannah have gone. Why? Because the church isn't a place to actually condemn. It's to cause our eyes to lift to see the possibility of what is. Why? Jesus said that. I said it to the guys the other night. I said, lift up your eyes and see the possibility. Hope is one thing we need in the house of God. I was asked at a conference recently and they said, what was one thing that you travel around and look at churches and what one cultural things that you would love to see as being, well, what would you have in your church, Pastor Greg? 
Some said, like, and some said, you know, they, they did the panel, and a number of people made, oh, prayer, prayer, love prayer. We'll get the word, better teaching, get the presence and the power. So what would you want in the culture of your church? I go, oh, I love all that. But my number one would be the culture of encouragement. Why? Because encouragement causes people to lift their eyes a little higher, to see a little further, to get out of the point and the position where they may be stuck in this life. The power of encouragement. But ultimately, you don't have, we don't have that position unless we embrace a simple word, which is the word to actually give hope. Jesus is in control, irrespective of what is happening in your life. And finally, the final word is this. Father, interesting, starts with the Father, closes with the Father. In the middle, my God, my God. Fascinating. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's that about? Father, I trust you. I trust you. You see, these seven statements from the cross is basically what the gospel's all about. It's not just a statement. It's the gospel complete. You see, it starts in forgiveness. It closes with trust. It starts with what God can do for us, what, how God shows you the power of salvation. It shows you the power of a relationship. It shows you, again, the understanding of what sin does in our life. It creates an incredible separation. It shows us very clearly that in all of that, that again, we have natural thirst, that God understands what we thirst and what we hunger for. Our challenges, He understands. He wants to reassure us that He's in control. But the last one's for us to act on. He can do everything else. He can say everything else. But his closing statement, he says, I need you to agree. And the agreement is, I trust Jesus with my life, with my situation, with my decisions, with my future. And that is always done as it is a sensible practice to do. That in the house of God and the church is that you have great wise people. I look on the front, the second row, the third row, incredible wisdom. You see straight away all these amazing people who have been in the church for so many years who have incredible wisdom you can draw upon as a, as a church. Some great young people with incredible wisdom. You see, we need to do this together. Never get out of the habit of coming to the house of God. Why? Because it pulls us together in the power of agreement to actually solidify our relationship with Jesus and with one another. And when we have that strength of relationship, guess what? When you don't feel you have the power to trust, people around you will encourage you enough. I'm going to trust God. We're going to stand with you. We're going to trust God. Agreement. Agreement. The power of the cross starts in forgiveness, closes in trust. It starts with the offer, the greatest offer that any person can be given another way forward and an eternal future that it is left to us to trust.